0: You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jags Den Podcast. Of course, I am your host, James Johnson, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire Coming to you all live on a Friday on January the 18th, riding this one solo once again. Uh, But as usual, shout outs to my partners in crime, Phil and Jacob DeLawrence, who, as I said, you know, we'll have them on at some point later down the road in the week. Uh, But as I also said, uh, we're going to be doing more short podcasts or short snippets. And uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do today. As John DeFilippo has been hired for the Jaguars offensive coordinator vacancy. So that's going to be the topic at hand for today's podcast. Again, going to try and keep it short. The last one was 30 minutes. I'm going to aim to keep it a little uh, this one, at least a little shorter than that one, because, again, it's just a one subject situation. But uh, nonetheless, it was just one of the topics of the week that happened two days ago uh, that was noteworthy and something that, you know, we just wanted to get something up on in terms of audio content. So that being said, before we get into the actual meat and potatoes of the show, really quick, want to plug some handles and uh, let you all know how you can get connected with us. For those of you who are new or the new listeners. With the most notable outlet to get connected with us being Twitter at sportsgrind underscore done for myself at underscore Jadella for Jacob at Phil the Filipino for our host Phil Smith. So those are the handles for all of the hosts. You can also get connected with us on Twitter in terms of the Jaguars wire that's at the Jaguars wire. And of course, the site is www Jaguarswire.usatoday.com we also have a twitter handle for the podcast itself that's at Jags Den Podcast and lastly but certainly not least feel free to follow our contributor Jackson Freiberger who helps out from UGA wire from time to time especially on game days and that is Jax with an x Freiberger As for the various media outlets or audio outlets, you can listen in on our archives and our podcasts of the past. Feel free to check us out on iTunes um, and subscribe there. Comment, like, uh, this, that, and the other. Help us get up there in the ratings, especially in terms of uh, Jaguars content. There's also Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeart Radio, Deezer, Radio Public and, of course, you can get connected with us also and most notably on the Audio Boom Network, which uh, features most of the USA Today Wire sites podcasts. Um, I don't think all of us have podcasts just yet. But for those of us who do, they are on AudioBoom.com. So. All of that said and all of that out of the way, we're going to get into the topic at hand. Not going to waste a lot of time before we get into that. But as we all know, it was uh, Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, because today is Friday. So, yes, this happened two days ago. John DeFilippo was hired as the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator. And it was a big move because, well, first and foremost, needless to say, a lot of people were starting to get concerned about this search and As to if, you know, the Jaguars were going to get their guy because it kind of did take a long time. You know, this is what, two weeks past the regular season. But nonetheless, Doug Marone found his man and uh, didn't disappoint in the process as some of us were projecting him to do. And uh, I think one of the big things first and foremost to discuss here. As to why it took so long is because Doug Marone did this search on his own reportedly with no help from Tom Coughlin. I mean, yeah, he used Coughlin as a reference here and there, but Coughlin didn't set up the interviews or, you know, suggest the guys. This was all Marone's doing, at least according to him. And you got to commend him for that, because that's something that, you know, we've long said here at the Jaguars wires that the Jaguars need to show some type of. Independency from Tom Coughlin all the time because, quite frankly, it's a possibility, and we saw this last year that Tom Coughlin may not know what he's doing or may not be the most suitable guy to lead the front office. I guess time will tell the true answer to that, but in my opinion, somebody who could really take a page out of Marone's book and show some independency from Tom Coughlin is Shad Khan, who And, you know, I could be wrong on this. We don't know what goes on in the front office. But the person who seems to have just went by Coughlin's word and and continued to have that trust in Coughlin as the lead guy to run the front office during the offseason after all of the things that we saw go down throughout the season, all of the shortcomings and all of the bad that came out of the 2018 season. That said, it appears that Shahid Khan may have, you know, met with everybody, but more specifically, he met with Tom Coughlin after the season and went off of what Tom Coughlin said, basically. And with that being the result of their, you know, their conversation, nobody was held accountable at the end of the year. So, you know, that is why I say that Shahid Khan needs to show more independence and make his own decisions instead of, you know conversing with Tom Coughlin about this and that and we did see it with the with the Dave Caldwell thing. You know, shot Khan, yeah, while he ultimately said he wanted to keep Dave Caldwell. He said he also went to Tom Coughlin and said, "What do you think about keeping Dave Caldwell?" Well, the fact of the matter is shot Khan has been with Dave Caldwell for 6 years. He's he's the guy that ultimately hired him before Tom Coughlin was in the picture. You've seen enough of Dave Caldwell's work to know if you should need to fire him or not without having to get with Tom Coughlin and and see his take on the matter. So just to avoid getting into like a real deep discussion about this, you know, that was good to see Doug Marone show some dependency. And I just wish Shad Khan would show that same type of dependency, if you will, um, when it comes to some of the football decisions, although You know, Tom Coughlin was hired because he knows football better than Shad Khan. However, you know, it's been enough skeptical things going on for Shad Khan to say, hey, you know, maybe I need to step in and start making some decisions here, too, because some things aren't getting done. And 2018 was a telling season to that statement. So I digress from my point. Doug Marone showed some dependency there, getting his own guy. He said he spent six hours In the meeting, which with each candidate, which is, you know, just crazy. But I mean, that is kind of typical when you look at, you know, a a key decision like that. So, uh, you know, I just kind of want to commend Doug Marone for his independency and the the thorough job he did in the process. But at the same time, he kind of put us on pins and needles with with the whole situation because it took so long and people were filling out their staffs. And it was looking like, you know, we weren't going to get a guy. So in the end, it fell through. As for the Flippo, or I guess I'll just call him Flip for short, just going to do a real quick background analysis on him prior to coming to the Jacksonville Jaguars. As we all know, he was fired last month from the Minnesota Vikings, spent time there with Mike Zimmer and company. And it's a situation, you know, a lot of people look at it as a red flag. And then a lot of people look at it as, you know, he was kind of the scapegoat. Of that situation they're kind of think of uh, the situation here with Nate Hackett, where a lot of people felt he was a scapegoat, though. There were some that thought that he just wasn't a good coordinator, but that's kind of the same case with flip is the point I'm trying to make here. Some felt that, you know, he wasn't a good coordinator while some or, or should I say most at least felt that he was scapegoated there by Mike Zimmer, basically because of a disagreement in terms of philosophy. When you look at Mike Zimmer, he's a guy uh, kind of like in the mold of Tom Coughlin, maybe not as archaic, but a guy that likes to run the ball, play good defense. That is kind of his M.O. So that being said, uh, DeFlippo was a guy that instead, uh, you know, they ran their offense mostly through Kirk, Curz- Kirk Cousins' arm. And I don't think Zimmer liked that he wanted to utilize the run game more. But the problem is there is that the Vikings offensive line is very good and they don't have the tools to run the ball, simply put. But still, you know, when you have a season like that, somebody has to get the we, X. We've we had this conversation before. When you have a bad season, you know, to appease ownership and appease the fans and appease others that's you know, that have to do with the situation – you know, if a team is doing good and they were expected to be doing or should I say if a team is doing bad and they were expected to be doing good, as you see in the Jaguars situation and the Vikings situation, you know, when you get halfway through the season or or at some point in the season, if things aren't looking like they did the year prior, somebody has to go. And that was the case here where they use flip as the guy. And, uh, you know, most people tend to think he didn't deserve to be fired, but he was. Um and, and that's that. Despite them not having the tools for him to flourish in terms of a Russian attack, you know, they still felt the need to give him the axe uh, because of demands. And, you know, people wanted to keep their jobs. And uh, here we are today. So when you look at what Flip did in terms of the passing game, however, with Kirk Cousins, with the Minnesota Vikings, you know, they put up historic figures, clear cut and dry. And when you pay somebody the money that you paid Kirk Cousins, that is what most teams would want. However, again, Mike Zimmer had to do what he had to do and and make somebody the scapegoat. But Kirk Cousins put up the numbers that you would want somebody that got the contract that he got to put up. He threw for 30 touchdowns, uh, had only 10 interceptions, which, you know, that's something that we don't see often here in Jacksonville with with Blake Bortles being at the helm the last couple years. Uh, for through for 4,298 yards and had a uh, rating, if I'm reading this right, of ninety nine point seven. So like a lot of the figures he was putting up in terms of not just him, though, but just the passing game as a, a collective unit that includes uh, Stefan Diggs, that includes Adam Thielen. When you look at the work that they did together collectively, they put up historic passing figures for the franchise, uh, which is a good thing because, you know, the Jaguars have been very archaic under tom coughlin you know they believe like i said with zimmer you know they they believe heavily in running the ball playing good football and you know times have shown that you know that's not the way to win football in this day and age especially with the rules you know and and how they are catered to the offense simply put you have to have some form of a strong passing game in today's day and age to be an elite team so you look at the teams that are currently. In the playoffs, those guys can go out there and sling the ball with the best of them and simply put, they are where they are, you know, about to contend for the Super Bowl because of their abilities to pass the ball. And of course, you know, they can play. Most of them at least can play good defense. And that's not to say that running the ball should be phased out of the game. Of course, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I think Pete Prisco said it best Where you um, win games through passing. I think I'm just paraphrasing him. You win games through passing the ball and you finish the game through running the ball. So, you know, the run game is still a very important part of, of football and a very good or a very important part of this football team. But I think the acquisition of the Flippo brings them more into the modern era in terms of the archaic ways that they were trying to get it done previously. So. After that, he spent time, or prior to that, he spent time with the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is where his most notable run came. Despite not being an offensive coordinator as he was with the Eagles, he was a quarterback's coach for Carson Wentz and Nick Foles throughout that process, 2016 to 2017, and of course that's why people are making the Nick Foles connection, as well as the Carson Wentz connection, but You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that Nick Foles is a given to come to Jacksonville. I guess time will tell, and that's another discussion for another time. However, you just look at the work he did with those two young men, and they went to the Super Bowl and won it, of course. uh, That was last year, and learned some things under Doug Peterson and those guys. But I think with the Philadelphia situation, it was more about how the Flippo handled things because, as we all know, Carson Wentz was injured for the season. Uh, I think that's when he had the ACL tear, if I'm not mistaken, or it might have been another injury. But he had ACL tear, uh, got him out for the – or it put him out for the rest of the season. Basically, the flip o had to take a backup at Nick Foles. And, you know, I think it happened in the – yeah, it happened in the regular season. So, he had to win some regular season games with Nick Foles, had to win all of his postseason games with Nick Foles, including the Super Bowl. And he did a good job in the process of it. And And Foles is a guy that has personally said, as well as Wentz, that basically that the Flippo was one of the key factors in them being able to have the success that they had offensively in that stretch. And you look at Doug Peterson scheme and Andy Reid scheme, that whole tree scheme. You know, those are once again, some of the guys that are flourishing in terms of offensive football in the NFL. And a lot of people think the flip okay bring some of the things he learned from there, as well as some of the things he learned from when he was with the Vikings and learn from the mistakes when he was with the Vikings and bring that into this equation with the Jacksonville Jaguars and make this team uh, better for the better. So. That was that was his most notable run with the Philadelphia Eagles 2016, 2017. He was the offensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns before that in 2015. There he was he was able to help Luke McCown, brother of former Jaguars quarterback or backup quarterback, Josh McCown. If I'm not mistaken, they are brothers. And uh yeah, he helped him to put up some some pretty decent figures there, helped him to accumulate a quarterback rated of 93.3. However, it doesn't look like he played that whole season uh, because he only had 2,000 yards that season. So I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people were praising. I remember this uh vaguely because a lot of people were praising McCown and, and what he was doing for the Browns. And, and a lot of people were thinking, like, hey, this guy might turn out to be a, a solid quarterback despite being, you know, in his 30s. And, and, yeah basically, a lot of that was due to the flip off so before that he uh spent time with the Oakland Raiders from I think it was twenty twelve to twenty fourteen under Dennis Allen there he got to coach up Derek Carr through his rookie season, and um you know it was a pretty average season, I guess you could say out of Derek Carr. That year he was uh three forty eight of five ninety nine, which was good for a fifty eight point one completion rate, which, you know, that's uh but uh he also had three thousand two hundred seventy yards, uh, through twelve interceptions, fell uh finished with a rate of seventy six point six, which that's okay, I guess. So, you know, he put up okay numbers, but the fact of the matter is he uh while there the did get to, um, you know, get some experience with another young quarterback to uh, put on his resume. So after that, he also spent time with the Oakland Raiders uh, before that in 2007. I think it was 2007 to let me look this up. Yeah. 2007 to 2008, uh, which he was a quarterback's coach again, just as he was with uh, his last stint with the Raiders. And in terms of the rest of his resume in the NFL, now, he also spent time with the New York Jets under Rex Ryan in 2009. If I'm not mistaken, that included time with Mark Sanchez, I would think around that time. And prior to the first Raiders stint, or basically his first stint in the NFL, just coaching in general, he was the quality controls coach. With Tom Coughlin at that point and that was 2005 to 2006 so we're talking about a guy who has a deep quarterback background as I just said he's worked with Derek Carr uh, Mark Sanchez if I'm not mistaken most recently Kirk Cousins uh, there's Nick Foles there's Carson Wentz so you know his resume with quarterbacks is very good and that's what the Jaguars needed simply put because they have been, you know, very bad at evaluating that spot, not just in recent times, but just even before that, even before Dave Caldwell and even before Tom Coughlin came. They've never been able to find a franchise guy and hopefully the Flippo can get them in the right direction. But, you know, the the staff probably couldn't ask for a better person In terms of the candidates, you know, I know Daryl Belville was out there and that was a guy that I really liked as well. I would have been definitely fine with that as well. Um, But I guess you could say, like, when you look at the Flippo, my only concern is what I said about the Vikings. And that is, you know, will he turn this team more into a a pass oriented team and just kind of abandon the run? And I, I tend to think with Doug Marone here, you know, Doug Marone will help him keep. It more of a balanced attack, though. I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I wouldn't mind a, a Jaguars team that is just strong in the passing game and in the passing game is their main source of offense. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be opposed to that. I would absolutely be fine with that. However, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I just concerned that him I'm concerned at least that him and Doug Marone may clash in terms of philosophies kind of like what happened in Minnesota with uh, Mike Zimmer. However, as I said, at the same time, I think Doug Marone will help him to keep some balance to the offense because we all know Doug is not going to, and Tom Coughlin for that matter, aren't going to completely abandon the, the run game. And I also think for the Flippo or Flip will be able to meet them in the middle as well because he's probably learned from that situation in Minnesota. And, and furthermore, the Jacksonville Jaguars simply put, are more better of a team to utilize the run than what he had in Minnesota. So like he, he has the tools to run the ball and balance things out here in Jacksonville, as opposed to what he had in Minnesota, because as I said, their offensive line is simply, or they simply weren't all that good. And, You know, I got friends that'll tell you, hey, like offensive line should be a priority for the Minnesota Vikings. So when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line, at least when they're healthy, not talking about the backups here, because a lot of people have this misconception that the Jaguars offensive line is in is in a terrible state. I tend to not agree with that, because when you look at the starters, at least, you know, they have some guys that will definitely help DeFlippo get the run game going. You look at guys like Cam Robinson that'll be back from ACL surgery. He had that taken care of after uh, week two in which he sustained the injury with the Patriots. And while he's not a guy that has been good at pass protection and he has a lot of growing to do in terms of development in the run game, that's kind of his strength. And uh, that will definitely help Leonard Fournette when he's back. They also have Andrew Norwell coming back, who, as we all know, he didn't have the best season, uh, a terrible season at that for somebody. They especially paid the money that they paid. However, they did make him at that time. And I'm talking about last April, the highest paid guard. So it's hard to imagine that he's going to go anywhere and they're basically going to have to back on or bank on him having a bounce back season and and just playing to his potential and uh, just kind of getting settled in. And I mean, you look at how long Norwell has been in the league. He's certainly capable of bouncing back and and getting back on track. So they have him coming back as well, who was put on IR. He's, He's healthy and good to go now, if I'm not mistaken from the reports. Then there's Brandon Linder, who is arguably the best offensive lineman on the team. He'll be back at some point in the summer. Uh, If I estimated correctly in my article that I discussed that in and then you have uh, Jeremy Parnell, who could or couldn't be back for a six million dollar cap hit. I would tend to think that he won't be back. But then again, I don't know, maybe they can restructure or work something out with him if they want to keep him. Um, And then there is also A.J. Cann who is all or in all likelihood, gone at the right guard position. So that right side is really the side that, you know, we really got to focus on this year. Uh, We'll see if Parnell comes back. If he doesn't, most tend to think that Will Richardson will be in his spot there. And while I agree with that because of, you know, some of the things that was said last year about Richardson and uh, where they Let him practice at last year. At the same time, I wouldn't be opposed to him also playing at the right guard position as well, and taking Can's place, and maybe getting a veteran at right tackle or a rookie at right tackle. Because the thing is about the right tackle position, regardless as to who you put there, they're probably going to struggle because simply put, there's simply not a lot of good right tackles in the league, and. In a nutshell, to explain why that is, is because teams just have super athletic defensive ends and the teams that are really good have two of them. So regardless as to what the situation is, the right tackle is always going to be on a very athletic or a freakish athlete at the defensive end position and they're not suited Being that they are right tackles, being that they play on the right side, the dominant side. A lot of them aren't suited to deal with the speed and the athleticism to, you know, deal with those type of athletes as opposed to how the left tackles are. Because the left tackles, of course, are guys that are more agile and more athletic. While the right tackle is a guy that, as the old people say and the old coaches say, is a guy that has to have a lot of sand in his pants, so to speak, a.k.a. a big heavy guy that's kind of more of a mauler than the left tackle. Uh, But at the same time, that comes at the expense of athleticism. And there holds the problem that a lot of the league is dealing with right now, where nobody really has a good right tackle aside from a few teams like the Eagles. I think, you know, Lane Johnson comes to mind, but I can't really think of any other good right tackles at the moment. I'm sure it's a, a few others, but what I'm trying to say is just a handful of them. And, yeah, there it's just going to be a situation there where in all likelihood, if it's Parnell, if it's a rookie or it's another veteran, they're probably going to struggle on the right side because most right tackles do, which is why I think, you know, they might be better off putting Will Richardson at guard. But I guess time will tell and, you know, we'll have to see what they do at that right guard and tackle position. But when they get that fixed, the offensive line is suited to run the ball better for the Flippo. And then, of course, There's the quarterback situation, which, you know, we'll talk about plenty and it would take forever to talk about on this podcast that they must address, whether that's in free agency or the draft. You know, that's the big key part. That's the big key element. And then, you know, for the flip to pass the ball as he would want or as he's, you know, done in. Minnesota or, or do it successfully should I say of course the Jacksonville Jaguars are gonna have to get maybe some more receivers maybe aim for a number one guy or whatever the case may be while they do have some guys they have D.D. Westbrook who showed some ability last year who who is a very good receiver that I think the O could work with they get Marquise Lee back but the thing about Lee is his hands even when he comes back you know He's always been a guy that drops a lot of balls. So we don't know if he's going to do all that well. Uh, You know, you got to think they're going to get rid of Dante Moncrief. While DJ Chark is a guy that I'm really interested in seeing under the Flippo, However, uh, because he's the guy that could take the top off the coverage for him and he could utilize in a lot of different ways. And that that being from the slot, from the inside or the out or uh, just in various different spots from the X, Y to Z. So. Aside from those guys, you know, Keelan Cole's one of those guys that looked like he was a one-hit wonder. You don't know if he's gonna bounce back. Uh, but the bottom line is, there they are going to have to uh, invest some things into the receiver position for the flip-o to be successful here, alongside some other spots. Maybe get another tight end in there. Um, but we'll see. Time will tell what the Jacksonville Jaguars do there. Uh, but I do think this is a good situation for the Flippo. I do think him and Marone will balance each, each other out, which is why it's a match made in heaven. And furthermore, I think the Flippo helps them in the key spot that they've struggled in mightily in the most important spot in football. And that is with quarterback evaluations. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up once again, ladies and gentlemen. Just wanted to keep it brief. As I said, Um don't know how many minutes I'm running on here, but. Uh, you all know where to get connected with us. Jaguarswire.usatoday.com. At Jagsden Podcast is where you can follow this podcast on Twitter. At The Jaguarswire is where you can follow the site on Twitter. You can also follow me at Sportsgrind underscore Dunn on Twitter. Uh, Jacob underscore Jadella, as well as the host of this show, Phil the Filipino. And that is at Phil the Filipino. Also, feel free to check us out on iTunes. Rate, subscribe, this, that, and the other. Stitcher, tune in, iHeartRadio, and uh, Deezer, Radio Public, and most importantly, the Audio Boom Network. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, y'all be safe out there and go Jags.